for love radio this is your host and love coach nikki lee we've got an interesting book and author we're going to talk to today i like the name of her book kind of grabbed my attention it's called the power of ouch i i just i i like unique book titles because you know you i i'm one of these i love walking in a bookstore and just kind of looking walking down the aisle and just kind of looking at all the titles and and I love coming up with book titles. I, I just you know, I'm I'm love starting a new book and getting to figure out a title for the book or coming <laughs> up with a title and then figuring out what it's gonna be about when I write one. <laughs> you know, because sometimes sometimes the title comes to me first and then I'm like, Oh, awesome. Now what can my what can I make it about? You know, once if I've got a title I have to like make a book to go with it if it's so great. Yeah, I know, I'm strange. So today we're going to be talking to Sandra Harmon. Sandra, it's great to have you with me today. Oh, thanks so much. And I just, I love what you were saying about sometimes you have a title and then the book comes or sometimes the book comes and then the title. And I sort of had that same experience where the title came first and then the book followed. And it was, yep. a, it was a really interesting experience to kind of just see how, um, you know, how it all unfolded. Well, you know, some sometimes I'll see a picture, and then I'll get the idea for the book, and and it it just it comes in all it it does it doesn't come out the same way every time, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's the title, sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the book, and and sometimes it's the other way around. It just you never know. It it's very strange how it all works, but that's part of the fun of the process. <laughs> so, Absolutely. I, I enjoy that it's not the same way every time. That's part of the fun of the process. So, hmm. well, let me let me tell the listeners a little bit about you. It says after experiencing decades of hurt and disappointment in her long-term romantic relationships, Sandra Harmon set off to discover why she kept running into the same painful problem with her relationships. And you know, I bet you. There is more than a few people listening that go, yes, I understand. <laughs> I'm just, just a guess. Just, I'm hoping less if they listen every week, but, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to venture a guess on that one. So she's worked with renowned relationship experts in the U.S. and studied under mystic sages in India. I love that. That just sounds so cool. And she's mm. become a certified meditation teacher, a transformational relationship coach, and the author of The Power of Ouch. She's on a mission to help people to heal from the hurt, disrespect, and disappointment experienced in any close relationship so they can stay connected and continue creating the joy, connection, and intimacy that gives great relationships 
and and makes them priceless. She lives in Hmm. Puerto Rico, enjoying life with her much-loved husband, where she writes, leads workshops, and hosts retreats. Oh, man, Puerto Rico. I've been there. This is a beautiful place. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. it is. It's so oh. beautiful. I so love it. I'm, I'm actually back in New York City, though, which is where we were living prior to moving to Puerto Rico. So oh. I'm in a new location, completely different energy, completely different vibe than what I'm oh, used no to. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you the, the, coolest, the coolest experience is, is while we were in the rainforest, we got caught in a rainstorm. And I, for some oh. reason... I just thought that was the coolest thing, you know, because yeah. you're, you're there with all the, the plants and the trees and all that kind of stuff. And the, the rain, because I, I, I love I love being caught in the rain anyway, you know, and hearing mm. the rain as it came down with all of the foliage and everything around you. Oh, I just that was one of my favorite moments in the entire trip. I just loved it. Mm. But yeah, beautiful, beautiful place and beautiful beaches and lighthouses and oh, just fantastic. But, yeah, mm, wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Thoroughly enjoyed the trip. We weren't there for long enough, but I did get to go. Mm. And everything oh, my yay. brother had told me, it was so funny because there were certain things he told me, and I'm sitting there going, you are making this up because he had been a bunch of times before I got to go. And and there were just certain things he told me, and I was like, you've got to be exaggerating. This is not possible. And then we were there because I, I went with him, and, and I was sitting there going – and he, he's, he's waiting, right? And I'm like, oh, it's true. It's true. He's like, I told you. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, beautiful place. Ah, loved yeah. it. All right. I, I will stop reminiscing now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful place. I'm re- I've been reminiscing with people here I haven't seen for a while, saying, oh, yes, you know, and I miss this, and I miss that, and I, you know, miss the beaches. Yes. Oh, I, I, I could believe that. I can understand why, too. Definitely a different vibe from New York. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally, totally. In every way. All right. So why did you, and, and I, I kind of gave this away in, in your bio, but so why did you get into the relationship field? Sure, yeah. One is it's like I struggled for so long. Like, um, you know, one of the things I don't, really talk about a lot is just my my kind of the background I had before that I was in business I started businesses uh, did a lot in the tech startup developed software kind of that serial entrepreneurial thing which you know most people or a lot of people would say oh you know you're so successful but I didn't feel successful I didn't feel happy I didn't feel fulfilled. And then I ran off to Vietnam for about eight years and started a nonprofit there, working with street kids and disadvantaged youth, um, you know, bringing them out of orphanages and off the streets to teach them how to work in really the five-star resorts in Vietnam. And a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, you're doing such amazing things. You know, you must feel so fulfilled and be so happy. But I wasn't. See, you know, it's, it's one of those where it's like yeah, the business doesn't help. The, <laughs> the doing good works and good deeds doesn't help. Like what, what's out there? What's going on? And I had always struggled in relationships. Like every, every long-term relationship I'd had, which I'd had three kind of before I really started trying to figure things out. Each was about eight years, eight, ten years long. So I was determined. I was, I was determined, mm-hmm. if not very successful, um, 
like, what, you know, what's going on? And I finally one day said, kind of, it's enough. I, I left Vietnam. I came back to New York. I, um, I just was starting to try to figure things out. And that did lead me to India, which you mentioned. I worked with, um, there's a group there. They have an organization called ECAM. So picture like, you know, big marble temple type place and right. the the, um, the founders are Prudiji and Krishnaji and they're they're you know well known around the world but they had written a book called Freedom and Relationships and I had gone and studied with them to be a meditation instructor and in what they call a wisdom teacher or a one consciousness transformer which is a, it's not meditations per se it's using meditation to help shift somebody's consciousness in a particular area. And so I'd done all that training, but I read this book that they had written, and I said to Pritishi, I said, I, I just want to teach what you teach in this book. So I came back to New York, and I started teaching and doing meditation specifically for relationships, because that's what this book is based on, is like 30 different wisdoms or ways to look at relationships. And... It was phenomenal to see the things that we, and I use we because it really, this was part of my journey. It was like really looking at myself for all this. It's, it's fascinating to see what we have in our minds that prevent us from having great relationships. It may mm-hmm. be really good, there may be good ways to approach the physical universe, but when it comes to relationships, a relationship isn't a chair, as I sometimes say. And then I went off to work with this woman named Alison Armstrong, who is very, very, very well-known in certain circles and not well-known in others. And she became well-known for her work in understanding men. She had, um, had had a difficult marriage, and afterwards she decided to research men with the idea of know thy enemy, <laughs> Right, we kind of interview these people to find out how to protect myself against them, and and she found after doing hundreds and thousands of hours of research that men were actually pretty cool. They were just basically not women, and she wrote and taught about that for many years. And then after a while, she started to see women through men's eyes. And she really realized that, hey, women are really pretty cool too. We just don't always see ourselves in that same light that men do. Like men think women are really cool. So she started helping women become more empowered. And that's what I I worked with her on. Um, And spent about a year researching with people about uh, like – probably the easiest way to say it is masculine and feminine energy and how it expresses itself in both men and women. So I researched and I taught and really learned a lot just by all these, these interviews I did. And then I did the same thing for another year with her learning about how to um, release the hurt that comes up in relationships. So between my meditations, the understanding that I got, and then all of the healing modalities that I learned – I started doing workshops, and, and then when COVID started, I couldn't do any more workshops, so I wrote a book <laughs> about, my, <laughs> about my workshop, and um, it really walks people through what I've learned, and I love, you know, I, I love everything I've learned, because what it did for me is it made such a shift 
in who I was showing up as that, you know, not so long after I started this, I ended up meeting this amazing man and we got married and, and he's grateful every single day for all the work I did. And um, there you go. <laughs> right. He's <laughs> like, oh, thank you, Allison. Um, and then I, my goal is just to help more women, really, really more women. I feel like I know kind of what we were talking about before. It's like it's always good to speak from where you have some understanding. I've researched with many, many, many men, but I, I'm not a guy. Um, so I tend to work with women, helping them release the buildup of hurt that we tend to accumulate. Right. Okay. Um, what, what do you think? You know, it's um, kind of frightening in a way. I've actually mentioned since since I've been through my my coaching training and all this, and I've I've actually since then I've learned that there's such a thing as a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. I, I actually didn't really get that before. I should have, but I hadn't. I, I had seen my share of healthy and unhealthy relationships. I just hadn't, you know, designated that in my mind that they were, you know, those, those two different things. And I, I, when I started actually saying that out loud to people, and, and especially people that I knew, I started getting the weirdest looks from people. And they started looking hmm. at me like, huh? What? unhealthy relationships what are you talking about <laughs> you know and and the really sad thing was they were the people that had the relationships that needed the most work so i'm like mm-hmm. uh, yeah okay we're in denial folks but what what do you think is one of the biggest myths about healthy relationships um one me say, I, I don't know if I, I don't use that language, but in, in the relationships where I saw people being in joy and being connected more times than in other relationships where I saw people complaining and being unhappy, right, and suffering, right. In, in those, that first group of relationships, what I found and it was when I was doing research about being hurt, is the people in these healthy relationships, I would say, so, you know, one was a, I want to talk about your experience of having your feelings hurt or being disrespected or being disappointed or whatever it was in relationships. And can you tell, can you give me a time? And the people in the healthy relationships would say, oh, yeah, yesterday my husband did this. Or, oh, yeah, two days ago, you know, this is what happened. Or last week, and it was always very present. And the people that were suffering more in relationships, they would say things like, oh, God, two years ago, this thing happened, and it was, you know, t- let me tell you this, this, and this. So it, sho- it really shocked me. It really, really shocked me because I kind of was holding on to a couple myths that were not so uncommon in growing up, at least when I did, one that, you know, in a great, you know, you get, you, you, um, you grow up, you meet somebody, you know, you fall in love, you get married, you live happily ever after. The first myth that you will never have your feelings hurt, 
Because if you remember, I don't know about you, but I read a lot of romance stories when I was growing up, and it was always that there was some upset and turmoil in the beginning. But then as soon as you got together, then it was, you know, bliss from there on. (laughs) And it's kind of the other way around. (laughs) It's kind of like bliss in the beginning. And when you really are together and trying to create a life together, and together a lot, all of those things come up that actually cause you to get your feelings hurt even more, to feel um, upset even more than before. And what freaks people out sometimes is they think that shouldn't happen. So the, the first myth I would say in a really great relationship is that you are going to get your feelings hurt. It's, and right. it's learning how to let go of it that is going to determine the quality of the relationship going forward the day after, the week after, the month after, whatever happens. Well, you settle into real life. You know, the rose-colored yeah. glasses come off and yeah. or get broken or whatever, you know, and, and you have to settle into day-to-day life and the bills come due and the mortgage is due and you have to go to work and the honeymoon's over, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, there's going to well, be problems. I know I wouldn't say the honeymoon's over because my husband and I are committed to having a never-ending honeymoon. We are on our sixth honeymoon right now. (laughs) Really? There you go. Yeah, really. And it's, you know, yes, there, there are these moments, but if you can release those moments that come up as quickly as possible, then it, it can feel, at least it has for us, and for the people that I interviewed, that it is a never-ending honeymoon. You don't have to have that, I'm going to settle in to the upsets. There's a difference to me, for me between settling in to um, being upset and letting it go so that you can have that same connection, that same feeling of, like, ooh, you know, love that you did before whatever the upset was. See, I don't, I don't have an issue with day-to-day life, though. I, I, don't, I don't have to be in, in like, an ongoing eternal bliss kind of thing. You know, I'm, I, um, you know day-to-day and, and the, uh, the connection and happy to be together and, and all that, is is awesome with me you know i i don't need to have that extra high or whatever that you feel in the initial stages of a relationship is that making any sense yeah totally you know i mean i know some people want that ongoing and whatever but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just strange. You know. <laughs> no, no. And look, <laughs> there are a thousand, you know, a thousand, a thousand different ways that people want to craft their relationship. Because that's, that's actually one of the things that I do with, with women that I start to work with is, you know, what is it that you really, from your heart, what's your heartfelt desire in a relationship? Right. And have them write it out. And it's so different from person to person. You know, we all have what it is that we're looking for and what will, you know, be in line with what, like, is already, like, there just waiting to burst out. So, and it, it can be totally different for totally different people. <laughs> so, I don't think you're right at all. 
<laughs> Very unique, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, you talked about um, the fear of honesty, and I think that's a big issue in relationships, that, that people are afraid to be completely honest like you know, if if it's something that they're concerned that their partner may not want to hear, you know, and sometimes it's not that big an issue, but it's it's like the anticipation of how their partner is going to perceive it. And you're talking about army tactics we can bring into our relationship that may turn um, our partner into the enemy. That that just sounds yeah. fascinating. Can you explain that? Sure. It's it's like when you start to use a strategy to get somebody to do something, <laughs> right? Okay. And this is so fun. It's like a, here was one from, from I was doing this the little workshop uh, a couple weeks ago, and the, t- the topic had to do with control and how we try and control our partners. Okay. And the fascinating thing that was coming out was how women were trying to control their husband's health. And all the sneaky, strategic, manipulative ways <laughs> that we were trying to control our husband's health, health um, without actually, actually just coming out and saying what's going on with us, without actually saying, you know, the fear that it engendered that, you know, what happens if you die or whatever it was for different people. And the strategies that we would put in place, like with women going in, like we're going we're gonna to work out ourselves so that our husband will see that we're doing a good job working out and then they'll follow. Do you see hmm. how that's like a strategy? It's like a manipulation. Rather right. than being on the same side of the table with your husband, you're trying to manipulate and control him. Well, yeah, people do that in a lot of different ways. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, that's, that's the beauty of this work with relationships. It's just what I love, but improving a relationship with your, you know, your, your most intimate relationship also helps you see what goes on with other family members, coworkers, um, friends even. I, it's, right. I, you know, I generally work with just uh, relationships, relationships, but I have, for some reason, I don't know why, I have a number of of clients that I work with on the relationships with their stepchildren. Don't ask me. I don't know what it is or why it happens, but I've got a disproportionate number of women that have relationship issues with their stepchildren. But it, it's all the same. It's all the same. Whether you're manipulating and strategizing and trying to control somebody about their weight, you know, by all the things that we do, it's the same as the way we try and manipulate and control and change, you know, our children without being straight with them. Right. Okay. Makes sense. And I, think that's, and I think that's the first thing, is recognizing that you do it. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can't fix it if you don't recognize it. So, yeah. Exactly. And I think the other thing that is important to recognize in that idea of how we kind of get on this other side of the table, because when you're not on the same side of the table and you're strategizing and, and not sharing information, you've kind of made them the enemy. Yes. Right, it's like I'm trying to do something to you without you, like, knowing the full information. It's, it's you know, we're good, we're good, women are good strategists. But anyway, um, what we think sometimes is that, oh, but, but you know, I don't, I don't say anything outright. I'm just trying to get them to, you know, be on time or whatever it is that comes up. 
so they don't really know wrong, wrong, wrong. You know, I, I, th- this came up in the same workshop. We sent, we, everybody went home and had these conversations with their husbands. And um, yes, the husbands realized they were being pressured <laughs> covertly and manipulatively because you feel it. You feel it. The idea that anything is, <sighs> that anything that we're not saying or we're holding inside isn't actually being experienced by the other, I think is really wrong. Does that include um, telling somebody to be somewhere 30 minutes early because you know they're going to be 25 minutes late? Yeah, exactly. Unless you tell them, hey, I'm going to tell you to be somewhere 25 minutes early because I know you're going to be 25 minutes late. So that's just what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. If you can, if once you're having a conversation and you're not hiding it, then it's, then you're not in the realm of manipulation. You're not in the realm of trying to covertly control someone. You know, and it could even be like, hey, I, this is, I need to be someplace at 3 o'clock, and I need you to be there with me, and, or at least I'd like you to be there with me, and if I told you to be there 30 minutes earlier, would that help? Or do you have right. a better idea? <laughs> Maybe you have right. a – because then you can brainstorm together. Right. Well, and sometimes you, you need to – Make them aware that they're late, and cause I, it, it seems to the person that's on time that the other person should be aware that they're always late. Sometimes they yeah. aren't aware that they're late, you know, so yeah, or lose track exactly. of the time. So exactly, but, but we need to do it tactfully and not you're a dumbass and you're always late. That that's not helpful, <laughs> you know. So well. And it actually has nothing to do with the other person. It has nothing to do with them. It's about you and your reaction to them being late. So if they decide to be on time, it's a gift to you. There you go. Right? If you look at these things as a gift and something that they're modifying their behavior, which takes, you know, effort and calories and <laughs> right? attention to do something that will just make you feel better, then it's awesome. Then you can see it as a gift instead of a demand. Well, I, I have found that, that if somebody demands I do something, I'm a whole lot less motivated to do it. I just, I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you take it to the extreme, the difference between a demand and seeing something as a gift is probably as far apart as you can get. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Hmm. Very true. Okay. So now something I talk about on here quite a bit is... Um, Self-love, self-compassion, that sort of thing. And Mm. guilt, shame, that sort of deal. So now, how can we stop running from ourselves and get ourselves out of a cycle of guilt, shame, or self-blame? Because I think yeah. that's something that, that we can we can get stuck in, and maybe not even really realize it when we get so stuck in it, and it's hard to get out of that. 
Yeah. So what what kind of thoughts do you have about maybe identifying that we're stuck there and how to get out of that? Yeah. So I look at um, like and in my book. So the Power Vouch is all like this illustrated book about what we do rather than letting go of the hurts or letting go of the tension that we get when something happens that either we want it to happen and it didn't happen or something we didn't want to happen and it did happen or somebody says something that we didn't want them to say or they don't say the thing we wanted them to say. It causes tension, right? Right? Yes. That causes tension, it causes hurt, it causes upset, all those words that go along with what I just look at as tension. And if you, if you look at an analogy that I use, that the tension that gets created, I call it a hot potato. So you can picture, like you're holding on to this hot potato and it's burning you, right? And yet right. we hold on to it. We hold on to that tension. We hold on to that hurt. How we handle that is really interesting because some people will take the same event, which is creating the same tension, and they will blame someone else. I call that like throwing, or it's like you're throwing the hot potato to somebody else. You're taking the hot potato, you want to get out of your hands, and that's, a, that's one of the things we do instead of just letting that tension flow through our bodies. So you can blame someone else. Another thing, same, it, same thing can happen to a different person, same event, everything, but they're going to turn it inwardly and blame themselves. It's kind of like smashing a hot potato on your head. I don't, have you ever had something happen where like you did something and you're like annoyed and you kind of hit yourself on the head? <laughs> no, but I've seen other people do that. Oh, yeah, uh, that, I've done it. That's why that's the picture in the book of the self-blame is somebody smashing a hot potato on their own head. So okay. blame and self-blame actually underneath them have exactly the same thing going on. It's really not any different. So to say that self-blame is somehow different than blaming another, which is what we weren't asking about, it, it makes it really makes it easier to look at because we can start looking at any time that we're having tension and we're feeling disconnected that the handling is simply to go and release the tension and that works whether it's self-blame whether it's blaming somebody else whether it's just sweeping it under the rug where we're pretending it doesn't exist even though it really does you know until it builds up whether we're um, running from it or hiding from it all those things are simply the symptoms of a hot potato. And if you can release that tension and let that tension go by not resisting it, it's kind of the weird secret, then that dissolves both blame and self-blame. Okay. So... I think we've covered pieces of this, but, and I, I think this is kind of the core essence of the book. Um, so this is probably kind of an extensive question, but, okay. but how are some ways to grow from hurt, anger, frustration, and terror, which I think are kind of some of our core ouches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the, so okay. So since that is kind of like a um, a very broad question, <laughs> let me let me give That's you kind of, of what the I steps that I look at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as as 
I said, I look at the first thing to become aware of is that underneath any sort of disconnection where you're looking at your blaming, your self-blaming, you're running, you're hiding, you're sweeping it under the rug, you're numbing and distracting, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, he just broke up with me. I need a drink, right? That's also right. something where you're not allowing that, that tension to dissolve. So the first thing is just the recognition that, oh, my gosh, hey, I have some tension, you know? I'm going to try and get a, a macaroon to make me feel better, so I must have <laughs> some kind of tension going on. So locate what that is and then decide if that's something you want to hold on to. Because that's one of the things that too many people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, you need, to, you need to let that go. You need to, you know, not be so angry. It's, no, we have free will. So you can decide, you know, do you want to stay pissed off? <laughs> do you want to stay hurt? That's, that's okay. There's some great reasons. I actually cover in kind of the first part of the book all the great reasons to blame yourself. I cover all the great reasons to blame other people. I cover the great reasons to run anytime you get hurt. Because if there weren't great reasons, we wouldn't do it. So the first thing, once you recognize this, is to look at this choice. There's some great reasons why I'm doing this, and there's probably some not-so-great reasons. Do I want to release it and consciously look at that from a point of being able to, from having free will? Nobody's, it's you. It's you in your own mind. Nobody's going to, you know, stop in, step in and stop you. And then if you do want to release it, to actually just cool down the heat. And this was the hardest thing in the book is there was a, there's a meditation that I do, a meditation slash, slash process, which is hard to translate into the book, but people can access it online if they have the book. So you just, it's a process to let the, the energy of that upset flow through you without resisting. But now this is where the fun part comes in. Now that you don't have all that energy tied up in it, is to go underneath and see what it was that kind of caused that hot potato to be possible. I don't know if you ever noticed, like, in relationships, particularly, somebody can do something, and one woman might be upset about it, and another woman might not even think it's a big deal at all. Yes, yes. So, right? So there's something that's individual to the person that's upset, that is making them upset about it. Right. So this is where the detective work comes in and the fun comes in because I've got all sorts of fun games and exercises to play. And the first thing to look at is, well, I call the whole thing a mess. So we're going to look at the mess, and the first one being the meanings. Like what, what did that thing mean? You know, if somebody's late, does it mean they don't respect me and my time? If they're late, does it mean that they're inconsiderate? If they're late, does it mean that I'm not important to them? Like all these, who knows what it is, but each person might have their own meaning for why somebody was late. And looking at it uncovers so much interesting information. In fact, if I, can, I, can I diverge for just a quick story? Because sure. my husband did something the other day that I loved. Okay. Oh, okay. So this, here's, a, here's the story. And it had to do completely with meanings. So... Um, ever since COVID, he's been growing a beard, and, and I love it. It's really cute. I, I love how it looks on him. And I, we were at our friends traveling. We've been traveling around the U.S. for the last, um, I don't know, few weeks, and she had given me some 
um, shaving cream to give to Richard. So I took this new shaving cream because she makes it, to took it upstairs to him, and I handed him the shaving cream. As I'm handing the shaving cream, I realized he had shaved his beard off. Uh-oh. Yes! Yes! Can you feel the tension? Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, when did he do this? How did I not notice? You know, does it mean I don't pay attention to him? You know, is he going to think it means I don't love him anymore? Does it mean we've been married too long and, and now things are becoming stagnant? I mean, within like, like a half-minute segment, you can, can you just picture all the things that are going through my head about what it means <laughs> that I didn't notice he had shaved his beard off? Yep. <laughs> and, right? It's like it would be the same if I got my hair cut and, and he didn't notice that I got my hair cut. Anyway, oh, my gosh. And he said, he's like, yeah, I... You know, I woke up because it had just happened the day before. He said, I woke up yesterday, and as soon as you saw me, you didn't notice. And he said, and then I waited like four hours, and you still hadn't noticed. And at eight hours, you still hadn't noticed. And then when we went to bed, you still hadn't noticed. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's he going to say? Because the next words out of his mouth were, and then I knew what it meant. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's he going to say? Right, right. He said it meant that she didn't notice. That's right. Can you see the simplicity of that? Like the gift of him not adding in any meaning, like he added zero meaning into it, was so beautiful. And it's actually something that I, I talk about in this chapter of my book about meanings, and yet my husband gave me this gift of actually doing that. And seeing right. what it's like on the receiver side to not add in and make it mean something, all it meant was I didn't notice. And it was beautiful. So looking at what meanings we might have and what we might be holding on to is huge. So the next thing is taking a look at our expectations, which is kind of like meanings. Um, and they sometimes go together, but I'm not a person who says don't have any expectations and you won't be disappointed. I mean, it is true, but we can't not have expectations. Like if you put your money in a bank without the expectation that you'd be able to get it out, the whole economy would stop. So it's only when we're getting hurt that we need to examine our expectations because obviously that's a flaw in our logic. You know, you expect, I don't know, you you expect that you're going to be able to travel all the time and one day you wake up and you can't travel anymore. Hmm, Better change that expectation to match reality, which helps. That helps you navigate the world. Then the next right. one is looking at stories. We look at the stories that we create around things. You know, my husband could have created a whole story around, you know, the not noticing his beard being gone. Like, oh, my God, this means it's the end of the relationship. And pretty soon, you know, we're going to stop having sex. And then after that, you're, you're, he could have created a whole story, but he didn't. And it's the well, story you know, that You know, that, that is... The formula for Hallmark movies. Yes, I mean, that's why we I have mean, the stories. <laughs> that's that's the formula for their movies because at like an hour and you know twenty minutes, there's there's something that happens and the person misinterprets it, and I mean you know that that is the formula for a Hallmark movie. I know, I know. So maybe that's a better that's a better way to look at the stories. Like there's some misinterpretation, but we love stories. And when we're we're running a story and things aren't following that storyline, it's time to reevaluate it. Um, 
And then taking a look at strategy, like what is the strategy that we're employing and what is it we're really trying to accomplish? You know, you're trying to get something when you have a strategy. Anytime you're, you're using a strategy or a technique or tactic, there's something you're trying to get or yeah. hold on to. Either get something you don't have or hold on to something you're afraid you're losing. And then taking a look at that. And is it true that you could lose it? Is it true that, um, that you need to do whatever you're doing to get it? And a lot of times what happens is the strategy people use to try and hold on to something that they're afraid of losing will actually cause them to lose it. Yeah. Well, and it's not usually, it's, it's normally for selfish reasons and not being done for somebody else's benefit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, sometimes even a strategy is to do something for somebody else, thinking that then they'll do something for you. Yeah. Which is also not terribly workable. Nope. Does not. <laughs> right? Because you're not saying what it is. It's a strategy. The, the essence of a strategy is it's hidden. Like think about war, you know, that's, or, or games. Like strategy means it's a hidden thing. So I'm expecting you to do something for me when I do something nice for you, which is my strategy maybe, and then you don't do it. Well, I didn't tell you because it was a strategy and I'm being secretive. Anytime you're being secretive means there's some strategy. Well, if you felt good about what you were doing, you would just be open and tell them. You exactly. wouldn't be strategizing about it, right? Exactly. 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 You'd be open and honest about it. You wouldn't have to strategize. Exactly. So those are the three, four things that, I, that add up to mess, M-E-S-S, meanings, expectations, stories, and strategies. And that's why when you look under the hurt, you're going to find one of those four things is out of alignment, as well as the thing that makes a mess messier is what you alluded to. Like, are you doing it because it's all about you? Mm-hmm. Right? And so you gotta, why? You've got to be honest with yourself about that. Yeah. Interesting. And most things are we're doing it for ourselves. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. You know, like going back to the example of somebody being late. I'm trying to get you to be on time because I don't like how it makes me feel. And then we twist it and we turn it and we say, well, any good person would be on time, right? Any normal person would show up on a time. Any respectful person would show up on time. But the truth is, it's all about you because it doesn't make you feel good when someone shows up late. did Did you bother to ask why they weren't on time? Yeah, and does it matter? Yeah, because there, there could have been a reason. But let's say there is no reason, because then we become the judge. So now what happens is people get really curious, like, okay, so you were late, and now you need to tell me why you were late, because then I am going to be the judge and jury as to whether or not that was an acceptable reason. <laughs> right? That's what you do. I mean, because now you're sure. deciding if the reason was great. <laughs> So now we add judgment in, but I didn't have enough room in my, in my spelling to add judgments. Um, right, and labels, that's another one that didn't make it into my, my uh, first letter to make it simple third part of the book. You know, that's the other thing that happens is labels. And that's why I tend to, you know, not say, oh, it's a healthy relationship or he's a healthy man 
or he's a narcissistic man, or she's a, I don't know what they say about women, high-maintenance woman, or, or, or what's, the, what's the one high-value woman? That's the one I hear a lot lately. How do you be hmm. a high-value woman? Because we're humans. We're not chairs. Yeah. You know, some days, some, some, in some moments, I'm a high-value woman. Two minutes, two seconds later, I might be a, you know, crying baby. Uh, <laughs> three, three minutes later, I might be strong and powerful. Five minutes later, I might be doubting myself. We're humans, and when, when we're not trying to live up to some idea we have about ourselves, that's when we can actually let the hurt go. Mm. Okay, now what, how would you describe self-centric thinking? Mm, yeah, that's easy. It's me, okay. me, 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 me. Now, that may seem very self-absorbed, but why is that? Yeah, I'm not going to debate that one with you at all. So why is that not self-loving and self-compassionate? Yeah. (sighs) To me, the difference is this me. Is okay. I need to tell you a story. It's just a short story about the okay. difference and how I really saw the difference. Is, well, let me let me say something real quick because I yeah I often talk here about loving ourselves, and I always yeah. say it's not an ego-driven self-love like you know I'm all that. So I think yeah. this goes very much in line with that reasoning. Do you agree? Yeah, it totally does. Yeah, it totally okay. does. And maybe with okay. a little bit of twist to it. Because okay. I was one of those people, and still am, you know, like I say, I shift and go back and forth. So I never say I'm like one way forever. But I, more of the moments of my life were involved in me wanting to do things for other people so that they would do something for me. Whether it was okay. give me acknowledgement, whether it was give me love, whether it was, I don't know, appreciation, all those things, attention. You know, I started, I helped to start a whole nonprofit in Vietnam. Not okay. really because I wanted to help people, but because my partner at the time, that's what he wanted to do. And I thought if I helped him do that, then he would love me. Okay. So, so I mean, that, that to me is still obsessively self-centric. Because it's all about me, 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 me. Like, if I do this and you'll do this for me, then, you know. If I, right. if I spend my life, it's that. Okay. I had an amazing experience at a conference with this woman, Alison Armstrong, and she was teaching us about, I don't know what it was. She was setting, this is what she was doing. She was setting us all up because we were going to be spending a year with her researching doing our own interviews, hundreds of hours of interviews, and teaching. But it was like a long setup for what she needed. And I think she could see that some of us in the audience were getting a little fidgety. And she said something that just, oh, my God, it changed everything for me. She said, look, I need to do this, and I need to have you understand what I need so that I can be my best for you. 
And she said that, and I just burst into tears. I, I started crying. She stopped. She had to stop talking. She went and got a tissue. <laughs> She's handing it to me. She's like, good tears. I'm like, yes, good tears. Because what I saw flipped everything around. Like my self-care now and my self-love and my self-compassion is so that I can give more of myself right. to the world. And I can be more of who I need to be for the world, which was right. exactly the opposite of how it was before. Yeah, understand. Yeah. And before it was kind of like, I'm going to do this for you so that you can be compassionate towards me. Now I'm compassionate to myself and I heal my own hurts and I take care of myself so that I can be the best for you. In fact, my husband and I had some in, have some interesting wedding vows. Like we, don't have, we didn't have a, you know, I promise to love and cherish you for the rest of our lives till death do us part. The couple key parts of it are I promise to nurture compassion in my own being and then share it with you. Oh, I like I that. Promise to, isn't that beautiful? I promise yeah. to nurture joy in my own being and share it with you. I like that. Yeah. So that's the difference between self-compassion and, I don't know, you know, and the I'm going to do stuff for you, you know, and I look like I'm doing stuff for you, but I'm really doing it because I need something from you. Right. Well, anyway, that's, that's the whole, you know, you, you complete me mentality, you know, yeah. expecting, yeah, instead of uh, you compliment me, which I like much, much, much better. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I love that. And Anyway, that's, that's kind of my take on, on that. I, I mean, I'm definitely a fan of self-love and taking care of myself from the, from the purpose of that's just going to let me be more of me so that more people that need more of me can take from me what they need. Right. Well, we, we only have so much to give if we're not giving to ourselves and, and yeah, nurturing exactly. ourselves, you know. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I, I found that the, the people that were in my life that were taking and taking and taking so much and I wasn't giving myself what I needed and, and there, just, there just wasn't anything else, you know. Right. So Yes. Yeah. Had to had to do something about that. <laughs> now we've we've talked about this um, self centric thinking, and it sounds very very negative. So, is there anything that's great about self centric thinking? Mm-hmm. That's a you know that's a really great question because I pretty much. <laughs> always look at the positive and negative things because you can't really choose unless you've evaluated both sides. So I have never really looked at the positives of obsessive self-centric thinking. I think I would have to say, if I had to think of one thing that would be like trumps everything, okay. is that if you're trying to survive 
as a body. If you're mm-hmm. trying to survive just as you, like your own singular identity, your own body, you know, your, your, there's, there's, you know, I don't know, wars raging, right? Mm-hmm. Obsessive self-centric thinking can help you survive. Good point. Good point. Okay. Never, that's a great question. I never, never looked at it that way. But think about it. If, you know, if, it's, if we're in a dog-eat-dog civilization and, you know, there's, there's aliens coming down. I was just watching an alien movie the other night. So, you know, the aliens are coming to get us. And, yeah, you're having to run and you're having to hide and you're having to protect yourself. And, you know, you don't really care about the rest of the people because you need to live then that would be a good reason for obsessive self-centric thinking. But we're in a society now where things have changed. Like the, the technology has given us an upgrade in our society, and I think sometimes our consciousness hasn't caught up with it yet. Like we're, we're thinking, we act like, you know, if uh, something happens in a social situation that we're going to get kicked out of the herd and die, and, right. you know, there's 8 billion people on the planet. Somebody needs us. <laughs> so if we get kicked out of one tribe, oh, well, it wasn't my tribe. You know, it used to be, I think, long, long, long time ago when we lived in small communities, and I'm talking long, 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 long time ago, you know, right. if you weren't accepted and you weren't allowed to be in a community and you got ostracized and kicked out, you know, you actually could and probably did die. It used to be you'd have to fit in with the tribe, and now I think it's so true what they say, you need to find your tribe. Because out right. of the 8 billion people on the planet, there's somebody who needs what you have to give. Yes. Well, you know, if there's a zombie apocalypse, we, we could need that thinking also to, you know, survive. So. I know. It's so true. <laughs> and, and, I think that's, and I think that's what happens sometimes is people get the zombie apocalypse thing triggered. And they go into survival mode, like, you know, you're the enemy and, you know, I have to protect myself from you and all these things that kick in, which would make perfect sense if there was a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I I truly never thought I'd mention a zombie apocalypse on my show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you did because I I have um, one of the one of the other things I do is uh, I have a group of uh, online support for women and we have different experts come on and talk about things usually related to being or just having relationships. But when the pandemic was kind of surging, we had a doctor on and, and that was the first, that was the first question I asked. Oh no, no, she was on, she was on first to talk about, then she was on talking about um, uh, vaccines. And I'm like, nobody else is asking this question, but, but I've got to ask the question. Like, am I going to turn into a zombie? <laughs> and I was really serious because I think in the back of our heads, we've all seen so many movies that, like, have the premise that, you know, there's something going on and everybody gets a vaccine and we all turn into zombies. That at least I, I really felt compelled to say it out loud, to say out loud what I know I was thinking rather than be strategic about it, to be strategic, like, you know, how safe it is. Like, no, really, I just want to know if I'm going to turn into a zombie if all my friends are turning into zombies. And was because that was the truth. Interesting. Well, I, I occasionally say exactly what I think when I'm recording, and then I, I debate whether to, like, edit it out when I'm editing. Yes. So, and I, I yes. do occasionally. I do occasionally. I'm like, yeah, I think better of what I did. But And that's why 
I like doing things live because I would edit it out. <laughs> I prefer yeah, I, I, I prefer well, you can make the choice and you can yeah. put all this in. I don't have to make that choice because yeah. ah, it's so much easier just to be in the moment. Yeah, there's there's most times I leave whatever it is in and then when it's when it's actually airing, I'll I'll just I'll just crack up. I'm like I can't believe I left that. <laughs> <laughs> Like, they they all know me by now. They they you know they they're used to me and they and they still do me. But hey. oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I I'm unique. What can I tell you? <laughs> you know. Oh my goodness. Okay, I tell you what. Do you want to tell the the listeners how they can find more about you? Sure. Probably the quickest thing to do, the easiest thing to do, is just go to my website, which is sandraharman.com. And whatever I have going on, I'm promoting or talking about or ways to share. If you're an Instagram follower, you can go to my meet.sandra.harman. I do a lot on Instagram. But in general, just check out my website. Um, Whatever's new and exciting will be there. Um, One of the things that I'm coming up with that's really cool, and um, hopefully by the time, maybe by Thursday night this week, and certainly by next week, I'm I'm releasing this thing. It's um, It's a... process, kind of a journaling process to help people experience more love in their life. And it's really cool. And I'm giving it away. So that'll be on my website too, though. So you can go there and see what's available. But that's my latest new fun thing that I'm doing. It's, um, it's a wake up to love uh, 10-day journal. Awesome. Because I'm always encouraging yes. journaling. So I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Yes, yes, Awesome. Yes. All right, and I will have links to all of this exciting stuff and to Sandra's information and the replay, a link to the replay of the show on my website at readyforloveradio.com slash powerofouch and also on my other website on lovecoachjourney.com slash powerofouch. And just to go ahead and let you guys know, um, I am in the process of moving my archives or, well, yeah, moving the archives over to a new site. Um, and I've got all the new things, the new shows are started over there. And it's going to take me a while to get all 350-some shows over there. Um, but I will have a link added to the readyforloveradio.com site very soon so you can go ahead and start looking and you can actually subscribe on that site so every time I add a new show you will get an email notification to let you know so I'm very excited about that and hoping to have that uh, completed before my eight-year anniversary on September 1st we will see wow we'll see if I get wow. that all done <laughs> a lot of times <laughs> to we will see we will see depends on how much time i get this summer to get that all done a couple months it could happen (laughs) well thank you very much for being here with me today and listeners i'll be with you next time on ready for love radio